we are back. Uh, you know, it's 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 kind of remarkable that Eli Wallach is associated with that theme from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, that classic piece of music by Ennio Morricone, but he's also affiliated with Elmer Bernstein's Academy Award-nominated score for The Magnificent Seven, which is, you know, along with the William Tell Overture and its association with The Lone Ranger, probably the three most Western-associated pieces of music uh, one can imagine. Although, regrettably, Mr. Bernstein's uh, wonderful piece of music was later co-opted by the Marlboro people, who used it as the backdrop for the Marlboro Man commercials in the 60s, which, at least partly on the strength of the high quality of the music, made Marlboro America's number one selling cigarette brand. Previous to that, it had been marketed as a as a cigarette for women, with Marlboro trying to give people sort of an English upper crust sort of flair to it. But when they started associating it with cowboys, the Marlboros just flew out of the liquor stores, which allows us to segue into the uh, the item which came out earlier this week. It's now being described as indisputable. Uh, this evidence that secondhand smoke is a major health threat that kills an estimated 50,000 people each year. That is comparable to the number of people that are killed in the United States each year in automobile accidents. A, a new federal study took a look at all the data, and on Tuesday, Surgeon General Richard Carmona uh, revealed the rather non-surprising news that, among other things, exposure of non-smokers to tobacco smoke increases their risk of heart disease and cancer by as much as 30%. And interestingly, there's no evidence that smoke-free laws have significantly reduced business in bars and restaurants in the cities where they are enforced. It's been my professional medical opinion that uh, people who are addicted to cigarettes and hang around in bars are generally addicted to alcohol as well. That's where bars make most of their money. And I think that uh, the money that they make in addition to that from those who are not addicts to either substance, uh, I think probably has increased because now you can go to a bar and not stink when you come home. And Mr. McMillan points out you'll also live a lot longer and buy more drinks. But before leaving the topic of Elmer Bernstein's score, I would like to note that uh, Eli Wallach expressed regret that he didn't hear the music when I uh, didn't know that that score was going to be associated with the film until uh, after he would completed um, his scenes. He said that if he'd known that was the cadence of the music, he would have actually ridden the horse in various scenes differently to coincide with it. And uh, judging by how meticulous an actor Mr. Wallach is, I I'm sure he would have, and, and I bet it would have made a different appearance on the screen. All right, let's talk a little bit about the, An Inconvenient Truth and Al Gore. Uh, it should be clear to anyone who sees this film, this is Al Gore's attempt to make a political comeback, although he is uh, claiming to the contrary. It's quite obvious from the context of the film that Al is back. We were somewhat surprised to report on this program that professional skeptic Michael Shermer, who writes the Skeptics column for Scientific American, called this movie the best presentation of the case for global warming he's ever seen, and he has now uh, gone from sort of sitting on the fence to being convinced that this is all real, it is happening, and we've got to do something about it. We're going to try and get uh, Dr. Shermer back on the program again, but we would note that uh, Seth Bornstein, writing in the Associated Press, noted that the AP contacted more than 100 top climate researchers for their opinion on this film. Among those contacted were vocal skeptics of the climate change, what's described as theory, by, by Mr. Bornstein. 
They noted that most scientists had not yet seen the movie, but those who had seen it had the same general impression. Gore conveyed the science correctly. The world is getting hotter, and it is a man-made catastrophe in the making caused by the burning of fossil fuels. Whoever worked with Al Gore in terms of a graphic artistry did a stellar job in presenting the, uh, the satellite photos, the graphs, the data in a very clear-cut, easy-to-understand way that really does impact the viewer. We mentioned smoking a moment ago. Uh, Al Gore has a subplot in, in this film about his older sister, 10 years older than he, who died of lung cancer. Uh, of course, um, Gore's father was Albert Gore Sr., also a senator from Tennessee, and uh, he was a tobacco grower for quite a long time. Gore cited uh, the evidence that in the 60s, when the tobacco companies knew the evidence was overwhelming that their product was cancer-causing and health-ruining, they decided that their best friend was doubt. In the decades that followed, they did everything possible to plant doubt in the mind of uh, America's smokers and non-smokers alike that, uh, well, maybe the health risks weren't so bad. When uh, his sister died, uh, the Gore family realized that they really could no longer be in the tobacco business, and, uh, and they quit. It's a very poignant scene to see Gore standing in what used to be the tobacco shed, uh, just rather quietly um, reminiscing over the loss of his sister. It made a very effective counterpoint to note that the same strategy is currently being employed by people who have a vested interest in putting the seeds of doubt out there. Citing over 900 scientific articles, Gore then noted that in zero of them, that's right, zero of them, was there any doubt about the basic mechanisms which were causing the rise in the Earth's temperature. He contrasted that with articles in the popular press, where 53% of the articles said, well, you know, that's really kind of unclear. We really can't say yet. They also mentioned that Tony Blair's scientific advisor is quite clear on what's going on. And we mentioned on this program I had a chance to interview Sir David King when I was over at KXJZ, and he told me off mic that his counterpart in the Bush administration said to him, well, Sir David, you know, of course I agree with everything you say. I, I, just, I just can't say it publicly. Another item which segues with things we've talked about on this show. In fact, most of what's in that movie, I'm, I'm proud to say, we have talked about on this show. But uh, of, of one, one datum that really hit me was the fact that the hottest 10 years that we know about in history all came about in the last 14. What struck me about it was that uh, four of the years that were not in the top 10 were 1992, 1993, and I believe 1995. Well, 92 and 93 were those years we talked about a couple weeks back wherein uh, Mount Pinatubo had just blown up and the ash that circled the earth created some extra reflectivity and muddied up the water. It actually cooled the earth a little bit. Otherwise, this spike, this uh, what's called the, uh, the hockey stick graph, would be even clearer than it otherwise is. One thing we did not report on, which I did not know about, was the satellite evidence showing how the pools of ice on glacial surfaces are what, uh, in the case of Antarctica, were responsible, scientists believe, for the rapid catastrophic melting of an ice shelf that scientists had expected to take place over the next century, but in fact a few years ago took place over a 45-day period. In short, Dear listener, you have to see An Inconvenient Truth, and we will be talking about it again in the future. 
Joining us after a long gap in reporting is our very own Iraqi correspondent, Colonel Skip Klondike. Roger that, sir. What's the mood in Baghdad, Colonel? Well, this newborn nation is achieving a level of cautious optimism. Was that a newborn or a stillborn nation, Colonel? Well, Rome wasn't built in a day, sir. Well, aren't, aren't wa water and power chaotic over there? Well, things are in flux, yes, but look on the positives. The oil minister recently threw one heck of an Independence Day party. It was quite the shindig. Cake, a jumbotron, and a pinata. But, Colonel, are their hearts and minds being won? Well, do note, sir, do note. The Coalition of the Willing welcomed two new members this month, El Salvador and the Kingdom of Swaziland. Are they sending soldiers? No, but the coconuts and volleyballs were enjoyed. You ask about hearts and minds, well, with 7-Elevens everywhere, more and more Iraqis have access to both Pepsi and Coke. Almost everywhere, highways are intact, anyhow. Wait, we're talking about soda pop? Well, Mr. Pibb is widely available, too. But no, this is not a mere matter of soft drink selection, sir. Freedom of choice is the core issue. I see. And, and what about the Civil War? Well, we are not concluding that that is, in fact, eventuating. Well, Colonel, former Prime Minister Alawi told the BBC that if Iraq didn't fit the definition of a country in civil war, he didn't know what country would. Well, Central U.S. Command points to 1861, sir. 1861. Yes, the American Civil War. That was a civil war. A surefire one. Mm -hmm. So if no one bombs Fort Sumter, it's not a civil war? I wouldn't fault your logic, sir. Yeah. Well, Colonel, the government's in chaos, and we, and we have Ahmed... Chalabi is the oil minister. Mr. Chalabi was the acting oil minister and did gain popularity with that wingding. Did he? Oh, the piñata was a huge hit. Now, I really must go, Doug. We're setting up a show on TV Mesopotamia. Bringing uh, I Dream of Genie to Iraq? Negative. Far too controversial. But the Munsters are huge. The Munsters? Game shows, too. Like this uh, Wheel of Fortune knockoff called Soldier of Fortune. Pardon me, sir. We've got a battle of the bands here. Well, it sounds like marching bands, Colonel. Yes, Chiquit versus Samara. Yes, sir. The finals, too. It's quite the morale builder, especially for Samara, which is, as you probably know, the former home of the Golden Mosque. Nice. Samara's band, in fact, plays for all the surprise visits here. Well, what do they play? The surprise symphony? <laughs> Excellent suggestion, sir. I'll suggest it. No charge. Well, we're lucky today. No RPG attacks. Oops, I spoke too soon. Luckily, it appears to have bounced off a minaret into the Tigris. We'd best bring the kids in, though, Doug. Over and out, sir. Colonel Skip Klondike trying to move the situation in Iraq forward. Well, one thing's for sure, our acting ability is not up to that of Mr. Eli Wallach, but uh, we do what we can in our satire here on Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. We would like to especially thank once again Eli Wallach for joining us uh, on the program from his home in Brooklyn, New York. As far as acting goes, we may want to reveal that uh, Skip Klondike is actually played by Mr. Donald Rose. I'd like to also note that our items, which we read at the beginning of every show on this date in history, come from Today in History, a day-by-day -day review of world events, which is uh, uh, produced by the History Channel and published by... Tehabi Books. 
I'd like to also thank Chuck Monroe from Newman Communications and Gregory Henry from Harcourt Books for assisting us in obtaining Mr. Wallach for today's program. The Good, the Bad, and Me in My Anecdotage by Eli Wallach is currently available as a trade paperback in, uh, in your local bookstore. That's it. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We'll see you next Thursday at 5. Now, stay tuned for Todd.